father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Hello, and welcome to What's Lightsabers Precious? The Lord of the Rings and Star Wars Encyclopedia podcast where we waste time in fictional wikis. My name is Ryan. And my name is Joanna. Hope everyone's doing well out there. Hope nobody's falling for any fake viral tweets. What do you mean? Well, Ryan, you see, just a few days ago there was a fake viral tweet about elves of color. That sounds great. Yeah. I'd love to see some elves of color in our Lord of the Rings. On principle, that does sound excellent. Lord of the Rings has been too white for too long, and there's really no reason for it, because if you're in an environment where there's dragons, and there is Balrogs, and there is witch kings, then there's really no reason why people of color can't exist. That's just kind of asinine. Who's adding these colorful elves to the Lord of the Rings world? Well, Amazon, supposedly, except it's fake tweet. Oh, no. I hope they ultimately do, but this particular tweet about it was... It said, Amazon Studios confirms that their Middle Earth will include elves of color, but it is fake. I know it kind of made the rounds over the week. Yes, it did. And its primary function was to force a lot of people on Twitter to out themselves as terrible, terrible racists. So it's a racist honeypot. It was a racist honeypot. So for example, here's Twitter user at Wrath of Mo saying, my entire childhood has been ruined by pandering at this point. Not going to lie. It hurts. It hurts me that some people aren't white. It's really hard. It's hard looking at other people who don't look like me. You know whose life is really hard? White people who have to look at people who aren't white? It's so hard. That's so hard. Why are they not like me? Um, Zaphod88 says, In my opinion, it's not the presence of the EOC, parentheses, elves of color. That's the PC word now, isn't it? End parentheses. It's the reasons for such addition slash change. That is the pandering. I wish more people on, quote, the left, I don't know why that's in quotes, would consider that before calling everyone racist. This sucks, man. I'm glad these people are telling on themselves so hard. Like, they're, yes. they're coming out so swinging as like, I'm a huge racist. Uh, one more. Here's Lil Al at AliScan97. I don't get why make elves of color, not like there exists already a canonical species that can be of any color. Make black human characters don't go against the effing canon. Yikes. 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 I think the worst one I saw was uh, someone's asking like, well, why can't there be black elves? That'd be great. And someone's like, they're called orcs. Whoa. Yeah, they're racist. Racist. Holy cow. My, my racism watchdog just started barking like crazy. I don't know why you even bought that thing. It's, I mean, it's really annoying. You can people, tell when things are racist without a dog to I mean, bark. Honestly, you, people, you know are racist, people are racist all the freaking time, so I'm, this dog is not shutting up, ever. Like, it's gotten to be a real liability, I, I think. I, We're I about can't. to get kicked out of our apartment because this dog won't shut up. My racism dog. We are about to, your yeah. racism dog. Cool. Is that your Lord of the Rings news for That's this my Lord of the Rings news. It's infuriating. Hey, all those people whose tweets I just read and anybody else who made a super racist tweet about this fake tweet, um, shut up. And just, like, my advice for you... Like, shut up. You should try maybe shutting up once in a while. You should take that mouth of yours that's open, and you should shut it. And also your fingers that you are using to make asinine tweets on Twitter, you should cut them off. That's right. I am fully endorsing racists cutting off their fingers. How about this? So much for the tolerant left. People, how about this? You can kill two birds with one stone. 
They can shut themselves up by chewing their own fingers off. There we go. That'll keep you busy. <laughs> That's ten finger bones you're going to have to chew through. <laughs> My anatomical and knowledge tells raisins, me. Just chewing on their fingers. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, they say so much better than, than, than black people fingers. Oh, nom, 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 nom. Yeah, well, great. So chew them yeah. and die. And die. Anyway, any Star Wars news? Um, as always, there's a bunch of stupid rumors. There's a rumor that Carl Weathers is going to be in the Mandalorian show. Oh my god, please. I love can that. Can he please be? That's the big news. Apparently Ray might have a new lightsaber in it, because the lightsaber, I mean, obviously, it's not really like, this is not a cool theory. She's going to have a new lightsaber because the one blew up in The Last Jedi. It exploded. It literally exploded, so. So, she's going to have to get a new one. Yeah. She's probably going to have to forge it herself, like find the crystals and stuff. And And there's still all these articles going around like, Snoke is Darth Plagueis. And it's like, no. Why are you all so fixated on Snoke? Why are you so fixated on Darth Plagueis? (laughs) y'all. Why are you so fixated on this? Yo, he dead. He is dead. And Snoke is also dead. Plagueis and Snoke both deceased. Now watch us like totally eat our words and that turns out to be true. I really hope not. (laughs) We talk about Plagueis. He sucks. He's just like a gross little pedophile stand-in mm-hmm, who like grooms mm-hmm. young boys. It's, yeah, like, yeah. It's not good. He's we not like, good, like that. Not a guy to look up to as a cool bad guy. So yeah. Anywho, what are you gonna teach me? It's been a couple weeks. Sorry for the week off, guys. Well, today's topic, Ryan, is suggested by my BFF Teresa, the one I went to New Zealand with, my Lord of the Rings bestie from about ninth grade onward. IDK, my BFF Teresa. IDK, my BFF Teresa, suggested this topic. She actually suggested we talk about palantiri. And yes, palantiri is the plural of palantir. I guarantee I'm going to F that up at least once because we all know I suck at plurals, uh, as evidenced by my nonstop struggle with Maya versus Mayar. Mm. So I'm definitely going to say palantirs at some point. That is a problem you have with plurals. Yes. Sounds like a great Greek dessert. Ah, palantiri. Palantiri. Spanakopita. Yeah. And palantiri. Palantiri is actually a Quenya word that means far-seeing. Okay, okay. It's not a dessert. So Teresa actually read about these in Unfinished Tales, which I have not read in a hot minute. And so I went back and reread that. And then, of course, I looked on Encyclopedia of Arda. And so I'm going to give you a full rundown on Palantiri, the lost seeing stones. Cool. Yeah, it's actually extremely interesting. Far more interesting than I would have thought. So. What are these dang things? Well. In appearance, a palantir is essentially a crystal ball. And the crystal in question is generally deep, deep black. And they range in size from about a foot in diameter to so big a full-grown man can't lift it unaided. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Saruman had one of these bad boys, right? Saruman certainly did. He had the Orthanc stone. And yeah. we will break down the individual stones in a minute. And Pippin touched them and made him go crazy. He made him go cray-cray. He couldn't unglue it from his hands and he saw terrible things. Yeah. So they're also virtually indestructible, right? So rolling a palantir, dropping it, punting it across the room, nothing breaks it. Like, there's speculation that maybe if you chucked it into Mount Doom, it would break, but nobody actually tried this. Can a Maiar break a palantir? No, I don't think so. Could a Balrog eat it like a jawbreaker? No. No? Because that's a Maiar. Okay, I'm just saying. A Maiar. But could he, could he eat it and just, like, roll it on his belly a little bit and digest? Or? Like a, what is it called? Uh, a, uh, what are those things that dinosaurs use to digest food? Oh, like the stone. Gastrolith. Gastrolith. Like yeah. a gastrolith. Maybe yeah. he could use it as a gastrolith, but it would not break. Would not break. I want to see the... I don't know. We need we need to bust that myth. <laughs> Find a Palantir first and we'll get to work on it. Start driving cars over it and yeah. stuff. <laughs> myth busted. There was actually a Palantir inside the Tower of Baradur when it fell, and it must still be in the rubble somewhere because even a hundred-story tower collapsing on it wouldn't be enough to break a Palantir. Wow. It's strong. It's stronger than Goku. 
hey, here's a cool theory. Yeah? What if Middle Earth is one big palantir? Whoa, man. We just got legal in Michigan, and I'm just, like, thinking, what if Arda's a big palantir? I've noticed ever since the election on Tuesday, during which marijuana was legalized in Michigan, first Midwestern state to legalize it, incidentally, you've been having a lot of hot takes and cool theories. Yeah, and, like, could Goku destroy a palantir with a spirit bomb? Nothing can destroy a Palantir, not even a spirit bomb. A Palantir is stronger than Goku. Goku goes beyond the impossible and saves the Earth from devastation on a regular basis. Even if he trained in like a hundred times normal gravity, it wouldn't be enough. Okay. Even if he trained in the room of time, it wouldn't be enough. Hey man, we don't have to do it. It's just an idea. Okay, we don't have to do it if I don't want to. <laughs> All right, well, thanks for giving me that freedom. Now, in the Peter Jackson movies, we see Saruman using a Palantir to communicate with Sauron. Pippin right. later pulls... Well, a Pippin, and decides to touch the Palantir, which allows Sauron to see him and also makes him aware of Aragorn's presence. Just Pippin around all the time. Just Pippin around. This went down a little different in the book, but, you know, same basic beats. Yeah. Also, we learn that Denethor has used a Palantir to watch the movement of Sauron's forces and that this has driven him mad with despair. And he tries to set his son on fire and also eats a cherry tomato in a gross turdish fashion. That's why he's like that? Is because of Palantirs? He was kind of grim to begin with, but we're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay. So this might give you the impression that Palantiri were a little like the internet of Middle Earth or like a telescope yeah, combined with the it's internet. Like, it's like Middle Earth Skype. Or a telescope combined with AOL Instant Messenger, complete with yeah. buddy profiles, <laughs> which is approximately correct. I bet Saruman put Sauron in his buddy profile. He probably had a su- like the sub-buddy profiles with the different links. Yeah. And it's like, you know, he had the shout-out one. He shout-outs for Saruman, shout-outs for the mouth of Sauron. And, and then if he ever uh, got mad at Saruman, he could delete him well, that's from took, the shout-outs. That's how Gandalf knew he was in trouble because he took Gandalf out of his buddy profile. He's like, why aren't I in your shadow? Why aren't I in your buddy profile and then Gandalf warned him his yeah. warning went up by 20%. <laughs> and then he trapped him in, in the tower. And yeah, and then that friendship was just over. Yeah. Friendship with Gandalf was over. From now on, my best friend is Sauron. <laughs> so, this, so this impression is approximately correct. So they allowed you to see far away and if another person happened to be using a Palantir at the same time, you could link them and communicate telepathically. Mm-hmm. I specifically researched whether or not you could use Palantir to make a three-way call like we used to do back in the late 90s. Oh, that was great, yeah. But times. no dice. It's a two Palantir only affair. So if a third person tried to join the call, both the other Palantir would appear blank to them. It's like a busy signal or like when you like, call someone. Yeah. Yep. Like, oh, great. Uh, Gandalf's on the dial-up again. Yeah, yeah, Gandalf, I need to call your orthodontist. Get off the <laughs> internet. So this is a feature I really wish real three-way calls had come with. So when your one annoying friend jumped in on the three-way call and started speaking entirely in Simpsons quotes, yeah. you could just pretend you weren't there. This seems oddly specific. Did this happen to you? I mean, something like this. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Regardless, the exception to this no three-way call rule is the extremely powerful Palantir Nost Gileath, but we will get to that in a second. Okay. Now, as I said, the Palantiri were crafted by Feanor, who was a master at making very beautiful things that wound up being a huge pain in the taint and getting a lot of people killed. He made the Silmarils, yeah? Yes. So, though he possibly created many, many Palantiri, we only hear about eight. The master of these eight Palantiri was kept on Tol Eresea, i.e. the moving island that took the elves over to Valinor in pre-First Age. Oh, yeah, I remember, you remember it was like, and was... the elves got on and then it went back across the ocean like, that was pretty goofy. Yeah, a little bit. And there's no evidence that the one on Tol Eresea ever communicated with the other seven Palantiri in Middle-earth, mm. or that any of those other seven Palantiri ever communicated with it. Well, they gotta build some new cell towers and stuff. Exactly. Like, reception's it's really bad in yeah, Valinor. Exactly. So the other seven of these Palantiri were given to the Numenorians as a token of friendship, and all seven survived the sinking of the island of Numenor. 
Though they did not all necessarily survive other events. Well, I'm glad they got those out. Yeah, I mean, you know, too bad like millions of people died, but at least they got these seeing stones. Yeah. At least they got their internet connection. Yeah, right. Priorities. So let's do a brief rundown of the seven Palantiri. Top seven Palantiri. Top seven Palantiri that got destroyed in seconds. Destroyed in seconds. <laughs> no, actually, only some of them. Only some of them got destroyed in seconds. And you know what? None of them really got destroyed. They just got lost. Lost in seconds. Lost in seconds. The top seven Palantiri. Let's run it down. Number one. All right. So three of these Palantiri went to the northern kingdom of Arnor. So you remember that kingdom? Yep. It encompassed the lands that later became the Shire, and it also extended quite a bit east of that. So the first one was called the Elendil Stone. This was the westernmost stone which was kept in the hills far to the west of the land that would later become the Shire. Um, it was housed in a tower called Alastirian, and it was so powerful that it could allegedly see all the way to Valinor. Wowie powie, that's, that's powerful. Right! Well, it is powerful, but uh, in fact that seems to have been its primary purpose because it couldn't be used to communicate with other stones or observe events in Middle-earth. So it was extremely powerful in a way that was not useful to anybody. Just a one-way call. Right, so it was basically useless to Sauron and men alike, which may be why it was able to sit in its tower unmolested for so many thousands of years. Gotcha. It went with Frodo, Bilbo, and the elves into the west at the end of the Third Age. Next was the Stone of Amun-Sul. Number two. Number two. This was the largest of the three stones of Arnor, and it was said to be the most powerful okay. of the three. It was originally held in the Watchtower of Amun-Sul, a.k.a. Weathertop. How big was it? Um, I'm not exactly sure, but it was so big that men couldn't lift it. Ooh, that's big. Maybe women could. Ooh, Would you ever think about that? What about that patriarchy? What about that patriarchy? Take that. We can lift the stone of Amun's hole. Deal with it. When the witch king of Angmar destroyed Weathertop, the men of Arnor whisked the stone away to a town called Fornost, which Mm. I think we've mentioned in passing. Like I told you about that abandoned city that became known as Deadman's Dyke. Yes, yes, yes. That was Fornost. Gotcha. The stone of Amansul was at Fornost for a little bit, but then the enemy attacked Fornost as well. And at that point, the last king of Arnor, King Arvadui, escaped with the stone of Amansul plus another stone, the stone of Anuminus. So, yay, King Arvadui! Right. But then he took the stones aboard a ship, and the ship sank, and both stones were gone forever. So, boo, King Arvadui! So they're on the bottom of the ocean? They're on the bottom of the ocean. Aw, boo. They're on the bottom of uh, the ice bay, specifically. So the Stone of Anuminus was the third and final one that was in Arnor. Number three. Number three. This was the least powerful of the three stones of Arnor. However, the kings apparently used it a lot. And for that reason, it was housed in the capital city of Anuminus. There's not much else to say about it, except as we just mentioned, it was aboard King Arvadui's ship when that ship sank into the ice bay of Forichel. What happened, actually, is the hull of the ship got crushed by ice. Oh, in, gosh. In the ice bay, which maybe already we should have seen that coming, because it's called the ice bay. So, question, if you try to call these Palantir, you just get a bunch of fish on the other end, being like, blub, blub, blub. They're not going to... It's unlikely that they are oriented correctly to see anything. You just see a bunch of sand the, on the Well, ground. you might not be able to see anything at all because of their orientation. There's, like, rules with how they have to be oriented in space to use oh, them. Oh, really? Yes. It's actually surprisingly picky. So, we'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Okay, so those are the three Palantiri of the northern kingdom of Arnor. The four remaining Palantiri went to the southern kingdom of Gondor. I know Gondor. Yes! So first was the Master Stone of Osgiliath. Mm, okay. Do you remember Osgiliath? Yeah. It's like ruins, right? Yes. It's like where they meet Faramir. And it's not where they meet him, but oh, Faramir does take them there. Well, yeah, they, they, he takes them there, and, and there's ring race flying around. Frodo almost gives the ring to a one that's mm-hmm. riding a fell beast, and yeah, Sam has to yeah. push him down the stairs. And Gandalf's all, uh, Gollum's all freaking out about it. Gollum and, is freaking out, and then Sam gives his, you know, there's some good in this world, Mr. Frodo, and it's worth fighting for. It's a really good scene. It's an 
excellent scene. Not in the book. Not in the book at all. But you know what? I love that scene, so I'm not even going to be salty about Good it. Good job, Peter Jackson. Good job, Peter Jackson. Okay, so that's us Gilead. It's east of Minas Tirith and west of Minas Morgul. So it's basically straddling the river Anduin. Like, part of it is this big bridge with buildings mm-hmm. on it that goes over the river. For many years, Osgiliath was the capital of Gondor, and its greatest landmark was called the Dome of Stars, and that was where the Master Stone was kept. It's a planetarium. It was kind of. If if by planetarium you mean a place where you could go to just, like, you know, G-chat your buddy. (laughs) (laughs) So, why was it called the Master Stone? Well... It had a power over the other Palantiri in Middle-earth. So, for example, it was the only stone that could be used to eavesdrop on conversations between two oh. other Palantiri. Wow. This would have been very useful to the forces of good during the War of the Ring. However, in the year 1437 of the Third Age, a rebel Gondorian named Castamir launched a coup. And the tower that held the Master Stone was broken in the fighting. And the stone fell into the River Anduin and was never seen again. Man. So all these palantir just keep falling into water. Talk about some reigns of Castamir there. Reigns of Castamir, indeed. He actually did end up taking the throne, but that didn't last very long. Loser. He's kind of a dick. The Anor Stone is the next one. Number two. Number two. Of the Gondor Stones. So number... Uh, five. five. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> the top seven palantir. So it was called the Anor Stone because it was kept in Minas Anor, which was later renamed Minas Tirith. And initially, the kings of Gondor used this stone frequently, but when the line of kings was broken and the stewards took over, people kind of forgot about it. Like, mm. the stewards knew about it, but they weren't really sure how to use it. And maybe it was, like, a little bit freaky. So it just kind of collected dust. Sure, yeah. Until, that is... Boromir and Faramir's dad, Denethor, took power. Denethor is actually a very interesting character, even though I clown on him for being such a messy eater. That's like a defining character trait. Yes, yes, is like his gross mouth eating things. So he was uncommonly intelligent and uncommonly strong-willed. So actually, when he took power, he was like the ideal ruler. That's why they named Denny's after him. We talked about this. (laughs) So for Denethor. Yeah. So for my buddy. That's why when you eat tomatoes in there, you have to make sure they squirt out of your mouth in a yeah. disgusting fashion. You have to eat chicken just to the meat off. Right? So he was actually like a very good guy. Um, his ignominious end notwithstanding. Mm-hmm. However, he was predisposed to being quote unquote grim, which I think just means he was kind of a downer. Wasn't much fun at parties. It's called clinical depression, guys. Come on. It could have been. We don't know. Yeah. I mean, there was definitely some mental illness manifesting itself later. So pretty much as soon as he took power, he started using the Palantir to spy on the forces of Sauron, which seemed like a great idea at the time. He's the ideal guy to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And there was nothing Sauron could really do about this because A, as a steward of Gondor, Denethor's right to use the Seeing Stone was recognized by the stone itself. So rightful heirs to the you know kingdom oh, of really? men. They have an easier time using the stone. The was stone that, is more powerful in their hands. So it was created with that in mind? Like, Fanor's, like, looking ahead of the future, like, I bet some some Joe Schmo's gonna try to use this thing to make a collect call or something. I'm gonna make it so only royalty can use these. I would not be surprised, because Fanor was a dick and probably a classist as well. I bet. So, Denethor was really good at using this thing. B, there's no way to make the stone lie. It will always show you exactly what is really happening. However, that comes with a huge caveat. You can make the stone omit certain things and or cast them in a negative or positive light. Oh, really? So Sauron basically did the equivalent of slapping an Instagram filter on everything. And Denethor, what Denethor was seeing essentially made it look as if the situation was a lot more hopeless for Gondor than it actually was. Yeah, he's posting pictures of him like in Waikiki. He's got like, he's taking pictures of the food he made. He's like 
just chilling out with my millions of indestructible soldiers here in Waikiki, having a great time getting ready to sack Gondor, lol. And you know, they say if you go on social media, it actually will make your depression worse. And because so, it's everybody's highlight reel. Storm was basically showing Denethor his highlight his reel. His highlight reel. All of his best stuff. He was trying to sell his essential oils on there, and it's like... Denethor just couldn't take it. He just, yes. Yeah, so he's like, like, look at Sauron living his best life. He really glowed up. There's nothing I God, can do. He's so self-actualized, and I'm just a grump who eats messy. <laughs> so, as a result of this, Denethor got even grimmer. Yeah, I bet. Then his wife, Finduilas, died. Aww. Then his favorite son, Boromir, died. Uh, then his remaining son, Faramir, appeared to be mortally wounded, and his grimness became terminal. Can I just say, having a favorite son, that's a real dick move. It is. It is a real you dick move. You should not have a favorite child. There's actually, I don't know where this came from. I can't even remember if this is canonical or if this is just speculation. But I've heard before that Faramir looked like his mother. Okay. And that was maybe part of the reason why Denethor... Like, it hurt Denethor to look at him. And so that's I maybe see. part of the reason why he was so nasty. Favoritism. Okay, okay. I'm not even sure if that's something somebody, like, a fan made up or if that's something that comes from Tolkien. I can't remember. But anyway, yeah, he had a favorite son and that's not a nice thing. But he must have loved Faramir somewhat because he completely lost his mind when he thought Faramir was going to die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having reached maximum grimitude, Denethor carried the Palantir to the Silent Street, which was the street in... Gondor, where all the previous kings and stewards were entombed, and he tried to have himself and Faramir burned to death, as we see in the movies. Threw himself in the fire, yeah. We all know how that turned out. So, Denethor was holding the Palantir as he burned. So, while the Palantir survived the blaze, all anyone could ever see in it after that was a pair of withered burning hands. Oh, yikes. Yeah, so that's grim. So it got burned into the orb itself? Yeah, like, basically. Oh, God. Basically, I mean, Aragorn might have been able to still use the stone. You have to have, like, an uncommonly strong right to it, and also a, a, a really strong will. So he might have been able to make something out, but mostly it was just useless after that. Dang. Yeah. So that kind of did destroy a Palantir. Like, functionally it ruined it. Functionally it ruined it, yeah. The next one, this is number six. Number six, top Palantir. <laughs> the Ithil Stone. This stone was the counterpart of the Anor Stone, and it was held in the city of Minas Ithil. Minas Ithil, as we have mentioned, later became the Nazgul city of Minas Morgul. It was like right on the border of Mordor. Right, yeah, yeah. And its palantir was seized by Sauron. This was the palantir Sauron was using to communicate with Saruman and to screw with Denethor's head. Presumably it was buried in the rubble of Barad-dûr when that tower fell and it could still be there for all we know. Wow, okay. Yeah. Somebody go dig it up. Yeah, go find it. Somebody go to the former site of the tower of Barad-dûr and dig that up. Treasure, baby. Last but not least, number seven. Number seven, top palantiri. The Orthanc Stone. This stone, as the name suggests, was stored in the Tower of Orthanc in Isengard. Originally, Isengard was like Gondor's northern outpost. Mm -hmm. But the population in that area was never very high. And after a while, Gondor kind of lost interest in it. So much so that when Saruman asked Steward Baron if he could set up shop in Orthanc, Steward Baron was like, sure, whatever, here's the keys. We know... In hindsight, that Saruman was interested in Orthanc because he knew there was a palantir there. And through that palantir, he was ensnared by Sauron. Oh, that's how it happened. Yes. So after the Ents wrecked Isengard, Grima Wormtongue unknowingly threw the palantir off the top of the tower. Yes. Allowing Aragorn to get a hold of it. And Aragorn used the Orthanc stone to dash off a text to Sauron like, Hey, just so you know, I'm the rightful king of Gondor and I'm here, bitch. That's cool. LOL, eggplant emoji. Oh, dude. Aragorn also led Sauron to believe that he had the ring, which distracted Sauron and bought Frodo and Sam some time. So the Orthanc Stone is like a true MVP. And it was actually the only usable Palantir remaining in Middle-earth after the Third Age. Pretty cool. 
I would like to end with a few notes on how Palantiri were actually used, because as I said, I reread the chapter on Palantiri in Unfinished Tales, and they were shockingly finicky. Oh, really? Although they were perfectly smooth without any external markings, they evidently had poles, like magnetic poles like the Earth has. Like a top and bottom. Yes. How you were supposed to tell, I don't know, because they had no markings. And for the Palantiri to work, they had to be placed so that their upward pole was facing upward, and their quote-unquote nether pole was facing downward. Like toward the Middle Earth. Yes. So positioning them so the poles were facing the right direction seems to have been a matter of trial and error, as well, far as I can tell. the picture's upside down, you know you got it wrong. You wouldn't see anything. Oh. That's the thing. Well, it's kind of like probably adjusting the, the antennas on an old TV. And then right? eventually, yeah. Like, it's probably snow, fuzzy for a little then... bit, then you could adjust it just right. And like, oh. Once they were positioned with their poles in the right directions, the faces around their circumference became the viewing faces. For example, if you wanted to look west, you had to stand on the east side of the stone looking west. That makes sense, yeah. Okay. If you wanted to look east, you had to stand on the west side of the stone and, and look, look east. east. Of course, yeah. And if you wanted to look a smidge more to the north, you had to move your body slightly to the south so you were facing more northward. So you had to you'd move yourself around this thing. Yes. Okay. You couldn't move the stone. You had to move yourself around. Got it. So this is kind of confusing to me anyway because I don't understand like north, south, east, west at all. But luckily, the smaller stones were mounted so that they were fixed in the correct position. However, if they came unseated, it was kind of tricky to reorient them. Well, how's Pippin, like, carrying that thing around then? That's what I was just going to say. So with the Orthanx stone, it was basically a miracle that Pippin was able to see anything at all in it. Like, Should it all been fuzz? Apparently, he just happened to grab it when it was in exactly the right position and looked at it when it just happened to be facing towards Sauron. So this shows that Pippin is not merely an idiot, but a bonafide dumbass savant. Wow, yeah, he got lucky. <laughs> that was a miracle. Well, not lucky, it sucked for him. But Yeah, like... it sucked for him. He got lucky in the only way Pippin can ever get lucky, yeah. <laughs> which is making a, making things worse. Making things worse. The bigger Palantiri, fortunately, were a little easier. They could be rotated along their circumference and still see in any direction. Oh, cool. One last note. The Palantiri could see through anything except darkness. So you could look through mountains, trees, whatever, but if it was dark outside, you were SOL. Hmm, okay. Yeah, uh, sounds like kind of a design drawback. Like a a flash on that thing. I mean, right? So there was evidently a way also to shroud the Palantiri so that prying eyes wouldn't be able to see anything. But this technique was lost by the events of the Return of the Ring, so too bad because it would have been pretty useful. Here's the trick. You take a blanket and you put it over the Palantir. It can see through a blanket, that, Ryan. You know, it's literally a shroud. It can... Oh. And it's... So it can see through mountains and trees and other but, landmarks, but it cannot see through a blanket? It's No, it's actually not a blanket. It's like the thing they put on you at the dentist. It's like a lead Oh, that smock. lead apron that yeah. lead smock. And I can't see through that. It keeps you safe. I feel like that would protect the Palantiri from radiation. And that is a double feature. <laughs> X-ray adi- radiation, but it's not necessarily going to make it unable to see. Well, it can't see over that smock. No one can see through that smock. You're thinking of X-rays. This is a Palantir. It's not an X-ray machine. I'm just saying. All right. Well, maybe they should have tried that. Or maybe they just keep it in a room that the lights are all off. That's easy. I mean, that's darkness, right? Yeah. Oh, wait. Except they didn't have electricity. Block out the windows. I'm not entirely sure if that would work. I wonder if Keep that it in the work. basement. It's easy. You know what? And don't light a, light a torch unless you really want to have someone look at you. I need to research into this. Would just putting it in a dark room with no windows, would that work? Of but, course, you couldn't see anything either in that situation. Well, sure, but you wouldn't use it then. Could it see through the walls of the castle or whatever you're in, though? Yes, it could see through the walls of the okay. castle. But so, it couldn't see through the darkness that was in the room. So that darkness, would it block what's beyond the darkness? I think the Palantiri itself has to be surrounded in darkness. Well, that's why you keep it in a dark room. 
in the basement. Maybe we cracked this thing. I think that's the shroud. Maybe everybody in Middle Earth was just really freaking stupid. Well, the thing is, though, the, all the Palantirs that were being used in Middle Earth, they were being used, like, intentionally. Yeah, for evil and right? stuff. Right? Yeah. Denethor had it out because he was actually using it intentionally. Mm-hmm. Sauron was using his intentionally. Sauron was using his intentionally, right? Mm, right, right, right. Like, I need to look into this more. Quick question. Do you, of the top seven Palantir, do you have a favorite Palantir? My favorite Palantir? Yeah, what's the best Palantir for you? We didn't talk about the top seven. What's your top number one best Palantir of all time? Like the greatest, the G, the goat of Palantirs. The goat of Palantirs. Greatest of all time. I mean, the Master Stone of Osgiliath is obviously pretty cool because you can eavesdrop on people. There you go. So I feel like it would have to be that one, right? The Ellen Deal Stone is interesting because you can see Valinor. Maybe. Maybe. If and that would be a once-in-a-lifetime chance because, you know, as a human, I don't get to go there. So maybe that one, too? What about you? I think the Orthanc one's pretty sick. It gets to do a lot, of, a lot of heavy lifting in the story. It did. It did. It's not even that particularly powerful of a stone. Yeah. But it got to do a lot. I just... It, maybe it's I'm biased because the other ones have been forgotten and covered by rubble and under the ocean and stuff. But mm-hmm. I like I like that one. Got to, like, a lot of different people got to use it and for different purposes as well. Not only to, like, be, go crazy and... and poison your mind or whatever with with evil like Soromon, but you can also like drive a hobbit crazy but also use it to do a, a clap back at the boss clap so back. yeah clapping back it's pretty good the stone of clapbacks. i think it's cool so it's a good one yeah. yeah all right cool well what do you got for me this week well i'm continuing spooky november spooky november that's what the month is all about it's about spooks and chills and thrills it's about gratitude it's for spooky things. If your gratitude for fear is what you're looking for, then you've come to the right place. Because I'm going... No, really, I just want to finish the, the Borborgamous Gog saga of the Galaxy of Fear series. I also want you to finish the Borborgamous Gog series. And so... I want to see... I, I just want to see him finally... Like, I want to see his funding get cut. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm well, interested to see. When is his funding going to get cut? You might enjoy this one a little bit then. I read the fifth Galaxy of Fear book. So submitted for the approval of the Midnight Society, Ghost of the Jedi. Thank you. So if you have, haven't listened to our spooky episodes because you're just like a big old coward wimpy you're baby. You're baby and it was too scary for you. The Galaxy of Fear series is like Goosebumps for Star Wars for kids. It's about these two orphan siblings from Alderaan living with their shifty, shape-shifting uncle, Hool. And they live on a spaceship with his droid DV9, and they basically get almost killed every book. And it's kind of fun. It's actually kind of scarier than Goosebumps, in my opinion. I think so, too. Kind of darker. So this is Ghost of the Jedi, book five. Our prologue is Borborgamus Gog. It's always this in our prologue. Yes. But this chapter is entirely devoted to him getting chewed out by Darth <laughs> Vader. Good! Yeah. Good! Jeez, it's about time! They have a long conversation, but if you boil it down, it basically goes like this. Vader's like, you let some kids wreck your plan four times? Well, I sent an assassin to kill who and his family. And Gog's like, what? No, I got big plans for them, especially that girl! And Vader's like, too bad, smell you later. And he leaves after chewing him out. You got, in fairness with Borgamus, you've got a lot of big plans and none of them have come to fruition. So why should Vader put any trust in you? And then as Vader's leaving, Gog's like rubbing his hands together and muttering to himself. He's like, just wait until stage five is complete. It involves the force and it'll mess you up, Vader. But for now, I gotta find them before the assassin does. I love that like stage five being complete because like stages one through four didn't plan out. They did not. And so how is there a stage five? How is stage five even on the table? Well, it involves You've the- not laid any of the ground. There's nothing. There's nothing. <laughs> yes. Okay. Now, this version I actually found had chapter breaks, so I will talk about those those cliffhangers this time. Um, chapter one begins with the Shroud, which is the ship they all live on, being fired on by a Star Destroyer. And Uncle Hul is like, maybe things are kind of serious now. Maybe we should, like... Oh, they just got serious? Who will do Maybe the Empire is actually after us. This is weird, um, right? What do you think? 
Tosh suggests contacting the rebels, since it's obvious Uncle Hul must be like one of them, right? Because he's like fighting against Project Starscream. He's got to be a rebel, right? And Uncle Hul's like, nah, I'm not a rebel. But it's a good idea. Let's look it up. And they see a, a desert planet in the distance with two suns. He's like, let's check there. I bet there's some, maybe some rebels there. Mm, a desert planet with two suns. Yeah, it's Tatooine. Holy smokes, You couldn't is it? see that coming. No, not from a mile away. So surely there's got to be rebels here, right? That's why he's going here. There's, he knows there's rebels here. Yeah. Actually, he's just going to see his old buddy, Jabba the Hutt. Wait, he and Jabba are friends? They know each other, yeah. They go back a long way. Like, friends' friends? Like, I don't, it's, it's really ambiguous. Mm. Uh, chapter 2. So Hul asks Jabba for help, and everybody laughs at him. Jabba offers to feed him to his new Rancor instead. So apparently, Malakili must be on the scene by now. Okay, yeah. Our old Rancor Keeper buddy. Yes. We talked about, right? Does he actually show up? No, he does not. Oh. But the Rancor makes a mention, which I thought was cute. Uh, instead, Hul offers to put himself in Jabba's debt. And since Huts love having people as debtors to them, he's like, yeah, dude, let's do all this. All right, cool. You're, I'm in this, man. I'm going to kill you, but all right. And he's like, well, also, you did kind of help take out one of my rivals, Smod of the Hut. Yeah. And Tosh's like, well, actually, a planet ate him. And, he, and, and Tosh's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, Tosh. I'm looking cool here in front it's of Jabba. I'm not in it, play. So who asked Jabba if he knows where the rebels are? And he doesn't, but his little birds have told him that there's some weird rebel activity out in the oral system. Something involving the Jedi as well. And so Tosh gets all excited about this. She's like a huge Jedi nerd. She, yeah. wants, she wants to be a Jedi someday. And so they head there immediately. And the big cliffhanger of this chapter is not really a cliffhanger. It's just funny. It's basically Jabba being, remember, Hul, you're my bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Cliffhanger. Will Hul become Jabba's bitch? Find out on next week's exciting episode of... Chapter 3. Tasha has the idea of getting a hold of her e-friend on the, on the hollow net. We talked Acid about... burn? Force flow, yeah. Force flow? Acid burn, crash override, whatever. Yeah, he wants to get a hold of force flow since they know a lot about Jedi stuff and rebels and everything. Yeah. Wouldn't it be weird if it turned out Force Flow was Uncle Hool? That'd be really gross. It was my uncle the whole time. Yeah, I've been catfished by my uncle. So she asks, um, can we finally meet up and talk? Like, this is really this is really important stuff, and I could really use your help. And so he reluctantly agrees to send his coordinates to her. And it just happens to be in the oral system. Oh my god. How convenient. Oh, what if it's the scientist? That'd be weird, right? I bet it's a scientist, because the scientist wants to use her for something, so this is like the scientist luring her in. As I enter the system, Devi gets a boring lesson about how the aural system's entirely abandoned. It's like as far as you can possibly get from the center of the Empire. <sighs> no one lives here anymore. And then they almost hit something on the way in. And it's actually this huge decaying space station. Never, ever, ever go into a defunct spaceship or station. Devi knows it as Nespis 8. It's a station that was built by Jedi Knights a long time ago in the Old Republic as a repository for all their knowledge. Wow. Scientific research. I'm sorry, why Why is it just floating there? Well, abandoned? legend has it that it fell to dark Jedi on board the station. And so it's full of dark de- Jedi, and basically? And a curse that prevents anyone from entering except for Jedi. This is what this is what Devi says. This is what domestic violence the robot says. This is, yeah, this is like, uh, this is the legend he tells. He's just a story. Nothing to it. Got it. But that's where Forceful told them to meet him. So, like, the coordinates match up. Pretty crazy, right? They land the ship, and weirdly, it seems the systems are all functional. What? There's air still flowing. There's heat in here. No sign of force flow, though. Tosh wanders off like you do in a big abandoned spaceship. I mean, why not? And she gets lost in the dark. Of course. And then she feels a cold breath on her neck. <gasps> and a hand grabs her shoulder. Chapter 5. But it was all a dream. She lights up a glow rod, and she winced, expecting to see someone or something horrible. 
But here's how it's described. Instead, she found herself looking up at the most handsome man she had ever seen. Ooh la la. His hair was dark as a midnight sky. His blue eyes twinkled as brightly as stars. His face was creased as if from years of care and softened only by a dark mustache. He carried himself confidently. He reminded Tosh of the gambler Lando Calrissian, but he lacked the roguish air of a con man. This is Force Flow. Force Flow is basically like... He's bae. He is fine as hell. Hell, he's not a ho- yeah. He's not a hollow neck creep at all. This guy can get it. He is a snack. He is as the kids a, say. He's an absolute snack. He's not a creep at all. He's he's a very handsome guy. Yeah, because no handsome guy was ever a creep in the history of ever. Right. Right. Yeah. So Tosh introduces this handsome, wonderful force flow to her family. Uh, he says that he picked this place to meet since it's as far from the empire as possible. And plus, the only people who come here are like treasure hunters and adventurous academics who want to research the Jedi. Okay. And it leads into this little camp area called the Solarium which is like the central hub of the place. And here's all the treasure hunters who are all together looking for the lost secrets of the Jedi Library. They have never been able to find it. Yeah. They're trying to find the Jedi Library on Nespis I thought Nespis Ace was just supposed to be a library. There's more on it than just a library? There's like like labs and stuff, but there's there's an entire library of all the Jedi's knowledge. That they can't get to. That they can't get to. They can't find it. It's like hidden behind, you know, like... A fireplace, and you have to turn the statue on the mantelpiece or something, and right. the walls flip around. Exactly. Or, that okay. Some weird tunnel they're going to fall into, or they got to, like, you know. Well, if anyone can find them, it's this tall drink of water. This tall drink of water force flow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they go into the solarium. Yeah, my juices forcefully flow. And there's this, all these, like, tents set up for different fortune hunters and stuff. They meet a nice old lady who's, like, a pirate. Her name is Damasari. Uh-huh. She's really friendly to the kids, and a few other fortune hunters that are there with her. And there's more talk of the Jedi curse and everything, etc. And they meet a newcomer who's, like, this skinny guy who looks at them weird. <laughs> um, they don't talk to him. They just kind of see him. He's kind of staring at them. He's, they're staring at him. Is he very handsome? He seems, Zach says he seems familiar. But, but he's not handsome. He's not handsome. So who gives oh, a crap? Let's go Skip! To- yeah. So they go to Forceful's room instead, ignoring the skinny... They go to Forceful's room. Yes, he has his own room here. Mm, he was in the kid's chat room, but he wasn't a kid. On the way there, <laughs> some, someone tashes Tosh on the shoulder. Yeah. She turns around and there's no one there. Ghosts. Ghosts. Chapter 6, Forceful's like, that's eh, probably just the the climate systems of this thing. It's old and busted and like, you know, I'm, I'm not gaslighting you at all. It's fine. Yeah, not at all. Remotely. Yeah. Cool, cool stuff from a new friend, right? Force Flow explains he's also looking for the Jedi Library. And Uncle Hul's getting super frustrated because he doesn't have time for treasures and legends. Because people are trying to kill them and they need the rebels for help. Force Flow assures him, don't worry. What we find in the library will help you against Project Starscream. How long have they been looking for the library? They just got, I mean, they just got here. Oh, they just got here. Okay. But all these treasure hunters have been looking at it, looking for it for months. So the odds are they're not going to find it in time. I mean, Probably not. Odds are. So finally, Tosh and Force will get a moment alone. And she basically gushes at him and how cool he is and how great it is to meet him. He must be a rebel and wowie zowie, you're so cool and great. Uh, Force will definitely plays it cool during this. He's like, no, you don't, I'm just a regular guy like you. Tosh tells, tells him that she's still suspicious of her uncle. Yeah. And they still don't know Uncle Hul's first name for gosh sakes. Uh, I mean, and he also, like, knows Boba Fett and Jabba the Hutt and stuff. Like, And he says he's, like, friends with Jabba. Like, I mean, obviously he's not because Jabba just, like, threatened to kill him. But and, he, and he has, like, all those years missing from his records. Yeah. Suspicious. And he's like, well, this is interesting, but uh, I'm tired. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta take a nap. Sorry. <laughs> so that's literally what he does. So really? He goes off to take a nap, leaving Tosh to her own devices. She goes back to camp, and Zack is teasing her about having a major crush on Force you Flow. You got a crush on Force Flow. And she's like, no, I don't. He's just my friend, okay? Zach, you're just jealous because no woman will ever want you that way. Zach changes the topic immediately and talks about how he remembers where he saw that skinny guy from. It was in Jabba's palace when we went there. 
Oh, and he runs off to find him like a dumbass. Yeah, of course. Because you do. Hey, this guy, I think, is dangerous and might be involved in a powerful criminal organization. I should go find him. So Tash follows, of course, after him because he doesn't want her brother to get buried alive again. Yeah. Like, happens in every book. Every Tosh, single book, Zach yes. almost dies. Zach makes a really bad introduction. You know, like, hey, I signed you a John's Palace. Oh, cool. And Tosh is like, wait up, wait up, I'm going to show your cards, Tosh is like, I'm sorry, this is my brother, Zach. I'm Tosh. Sorry for the bad introduction. And the skinny guy introduces himself. And his name is Danik Jericho. Danik? Why does that sound familiar? He was in Most Eisley Madness. Yes, he was! He was the, like, ageless space vampire. Yes! With the tentacle nose. Oh my god! Oh, gross! Sorry, tentacle cheeks. Tentacle cheeks. Yeah, and he likes to drink people's soup, which is their brain. Ew! So yeah, they're like, oh, this is regular guy, Danik Jericho. Just a regular guy who drinks people's brains. They don't know that. How they know? It's a regular dude! a regular human with, like, normal face. Yeah. It's a skinny. Nice to meet you. Bye! Uh, Tosh pulls Zack away and calls him a rancor brain, but Zack insists, he definitely followed us here. I saw him at Java's palace, I swear. And maybe someone yell, I found it! It's mine! Down one of the tunnels. And then a lot of screaming. Was it the library? Well, chapter seven. Everyone, except for Danic Jericho, rushes to the passage that the cries came from. It's super cold and dark in here, and they find a guy called Mangle, who's one of the treasure hunters. And they find him twisted and dead (gasps) on the ground with an expression of fear on on his face, clutching a book in his hands. Necronomicon. This is weird for them because in Star Wars, they don't really have books. Yeah, right. Like, I was like, reads? oh my gosh, that's, that's, it must be from the Jedi Library. It's a book. He must have found it. I bet that he found the library and then he died because he realized that it was all boxcar children books. Yeah, right. Or like a babysitter's club or <laughs> something. My life's work! <laughs> <laughs> so how'd he die? Everyone's trying to look him over. Uncle Hul's looking him over. Devious says there's no sign of injury or cause of death. Which is really strange. He's all mangled and weird looking. Um, that's how that's how boxcar children kill. I know. That's how it always happens. Nobody ever suspects the boxcar children. Oh, no. And he kind of runs through his memory DV, like his memory banks. He's like, this is similar to the cases of uh, people who have been killed by Anzati. Anzati? What, what, what that? Those vampire space assassins. Uh, Curious, huh? Is that brain juice drinking guy? But everyone's like, no, no, no. It's got to be that curse we learned about. Or if he's not a Jedi, he's going to get cursed by the library. Obviously. Duh. And so Hul suggests they all go back to the Solarium to protect themselves from this Anzati who's clearly on the loose. Hul has the kids locked inside the shroud for safety. No, for right? safety. To protect them. Yeah. Zack insists that it must be Jericho who killed that guy. And he'll kill again. He knows it. He's a regular guy. Why would he worry about this, right? Yeah. Why is he thinking? Like, it's not like he has tentacles in his face that suck soup out of people's brains. It's yeah. like that. Tasha's feeling weird, so she goes to take a nap, kind of rest her head. While she's sleeping, she hears this voice whispering her name, and she has this vision of hallways lined with books. Somewhere, like, her mind kind of travels through the space station and finds this 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 hallway full of books. And so, of course, she sneaks out to follow her spirit journey to the Jedi Library. Yeah. she's found it in her mind, right? She's, like, astrally projecting? Yeah, kind of. Whoa. Tosh follows the voice in her head past where the place where Mangold dies in the same tunnel. And she finds, lo and behold, the Lost Jedi Library. It was just down a hall? Well, it's down a hall. There's like five different routes you could take. And then one of them is the right route. And her, her mind tells her that's the right place to go. So it's not even like it was behind a false wall or some, or locked door. It's just like it the, was just like literally like, this hall is kind of complicated. It's like a lot of mazes. Right? Oh, it's kind of okay. like these winding hallways. And But then the voice in her head, instead of calling her name, just yells, get out! Whoa, whoa, whoa! Yeah. Chapter 8. Tasha's so overwhelmed by the Force yell that she passes out in the library. She wakes up in the tunnel to see the face of Force Flow, who has brought Uncle Hul and Zack along after hearing her scream. She blames it on the curse, because only a true Jedi can enter, and 
I guess it means I'm not a real Jedi. Oh, womp, womp. Womp, womp, indeed. Don't be so hard on yourself, Tash. I also pass out when people yell at me. Yeah, and when I go to the library, I usually just faint. I usually just faint. It's fine. <laughs> cool takes Tash back to the solarium to check her vitals, and the whole time Forceful is giving a really hard time about not going to the library immediately, because, like, she found it. We can go back and follow her. Cool notices Mangle's body is now gone. What? And Zach goes into his spiel about how Jericho did it. He took the body. I know he did it. And weirdly, he's not around anywhere. Oh, nobody can find him because he's off sucking the juice out of the body. I may hear two more screams coming from the direction of the library. And what you know? Two more dead treasure hunters. <gasps> it really off, is cursed. They're picked off one by one. Devi says it's Anzadi again. Tosh says it's the curse. Zach says it's Danic Jericho. So naturally, the remaining survivors basically put Jericho on trial. Yeah. We can believe the droid. You know, like, of the guilty teenage- until proven innocent. Believe the droid or the teenage girl, but no, we'll, we'll, we'll get the little, little middle school twerp. We'll agree with him. Yeah. So they basically put him on this trial. This kid seems like he's got his head on straight. This kid seems pretty prime. And Jericho's like, I didn't kill anyone. Hul turns into a Wookiee to put the fear in him, but <laughs> instead of being scared, Jericho gets kind of excited. He's kind of got this twinkle in his eye. Oh, gross. He's one of those guys. He's a furry. He's that's like, why. Mm, I want that Wookiee soup, you know? Not that being a furry yeah. is gross. Well, being a furry for Wookiees is a little he's bit. He's like, where you been? Where have you been? And he's like, let me show you where I've been. I'm kind of embarrassed, but I'll show you where I've been. He takes everyone back to his room. And he shows them <laughs> he shows them his fur affinity his count. His fur affinity count. <laughs> and his, uh, yeah. <laughs> this is where I've been. For hours every day for the last seven years of my life. I'm actually a red red panda and I'm beautiful. And he shows what he's been doing this whole time. He has a smoking corner. <gasps> he smokes tobacco. Now wait, sorry, it's called tobacco? T apostrophe B A C. Like they just took the O up tobacco. No, it, it's a space it's a space drug. You can smoke tobacco. Tobacco? Tobacco. Like, it's literally just, they took, so they took it one O, replaced it with an apostrophe, and then they just dropped the O off the end. No, they, they, they invented tobacco wholesale. It's a whole new concept, a thing you can smoke with a pipe, called tobacco. The Star Wars universe. <laughs> I know. Continues to do the most. <laughs> they really tried doing hard. the least. They tried so hard. He's like, I admit, I admit, like to smoke in, smoke in private. It's a detestable habit, but I, I have an addiction. And DVC there's a huge pile of ash there. And he's like, yep, that story checks out. <laughs> yeah, there's ashes here, so it must be. He's been smoking a lot. We're all about to have a horrible addiction here in Michigan because weed is legal. Zach is like, I, no, I know he did it. What the heck? And Domisari, that old pirate lady, is like, don't worry, kid. I think I really know who did it. Come meet me in the tunnel later. You and your sis. But don't bring your uncle. We got to we gotta figure this out together. There we know are the truth. so many times in this story where, like, grown adults are inviting kids to secluded areas and it's so fishy. I know, right? And they go every time. I guess if they didn't, the story wouldn't move along, but at the same time... I mean, these kids continue. They have more reason than any other kids in the universe to be suspicious of strange adults inviting them to secluded places, and yet they keep doing it. Yeah, the main fear of this book I'm finding is Stranger Danger, and you're going to see more by the like, end of it. Like, seriously. So Zach, being a dumbass, goes along and with his sister in tow because she doesn't want to see her brother again, getting trapped in a hologram death world or something, and so she goes with him, and they're waiting for like 20 minutes, and she hasn't showed up. Damasari's not here. And then they hear a voice saying, children, children, come little children, I'll take thee away. That's basically it. And it's Damasari down the tunnel. They can see her gesturing toward them. And then a shadowy figure pushes her down. And the sounds of a struggle fill the hallway. The kids rush to her aid to find her battling with none other than Danic Jericho. Oh, see, he was right. And he's not a regular guy because he's got these cheek proboscis sliding out of his cheeks and going into her nose, up into her brain. What a nasty boy. And so he's drinking her brain, and sure enough, Damasari is dead. Well, that tends to happen when people drink your brain. Jericho's like, it's not what you think. Survival rates are pretty low. It's not what you think. 
kid, yes, I drank her brain, but not for the reason you expect. The kids run for their lives, and Jericho chases after me, like, I can exp- it's, seriously, like, I-, I can explain what's going on, really. Don't worry about it. It's fine. Danik, um, give kid, it up, bro. The kids manage to escape into a garbage chute, uh, and they land in centuries old garbage. Yeah. Station's abandoned, of course. And not too long before they feel things moving below them, because, yep, just like every garbage chute in Star Wars, there's a Dainaga in here. Of course there is. And Tosk gets dragged underwater by one of its tentacles, like almost immediately. Chapter 11, Zack smacks the Dianaga's eyes with a pipe, and it lets Tosh free. Okay. They manage to escape the garbage pit and go into, up into a ventilation shaft, and it leads them into this large gallery-like room that's really cold, because it's full of bodies. Oh, it's like a morgue! Yes, yeah, so they're in these, these tubes. But surely those bodies would be, like, desiccated by now, because they've been abandoned well, there for centuries. That's the thing, there's these cryogenic tubes, and this is not old technology, this looks like it's brand new. Oh! Yeah. They're all hooked up to this computer that has this big old glowing crystal sphere on top. Yeah. It's super crazy. Super weird. Tosh kind of looks at the people inside. She, says she recognizes some of them. Like, These are the people who have gone missing. <gasps> They're not dead at all. They've been frozen in this cryo chamber. But so I thought... Someone's our boy, collecting them. I thought our boy Danica... Patrick, Danica Patrick didn't do it. in people's brains. Nah, something else is going on here. Tosh starts hearing that voice in her head again. Only quieter and murmuring, going, get out, get out, get out. And then gets louder, yelling, Get out! And then Tosh finds herself being choked by two cold, invisible hands. It's the ghost again! She cries out to Zack for help, but no one is... There's no one choking her! Zack doesn't see anybody! It's a ghost! Yeah! It's a ghost! She needs to use the uh, the confrontational approach, the emotional approach. Tosh is flung back against the wall while the voice is yelling in her head the whole time, Get out! Get out! Get out! Get out! Get out! And the wall behind her collapses and shows us this secret passage. She's flung down the hallway and then released. Zack is totally freaking out, obviously, because yeah. her sister got thrown by some invisible force across the room. Uh, Tosh recovers, and they run down to the passage, away from the cryogenic storage and whatever murderous ghost is in this room. The whole time, Tosh feels invisible eyes watching her. They manage to make it back to the solarium, but nobody's there. Everyone's gone. No Uncle Hool, no Force Flow, no Danic Jericho. Nobody. The kids decide to check the last place they want to go, the Jedi Library, because that's where they were screaming from. Right. Right? Inside, they find Devi and Uncle Hool. Although DV is deactivated, and Hul is slumped over with Danic Jericho over him. Chapter 14. Murderer, says Zack. True, says Jericho. I do kill people, but I didn't kill your uncle. <laughs> In fact, I've only killed... Weird, that's a weird way to take a stand. Yeah, I am a murderer, but, but, but I'd not murder this yeah. guy. Uh, In fact, I've only killed one person the whole time I've been here. And yes, I did follow you here, but not to kill you, you dummy. I was trying to save you from another assassin. Damasari. Why would he bother? He was hired. By whom? Well, we gotta find out, right? Mm-hmm. So, he's not there to kill the kids. He was there to save the kids from Damasari, the old lady who's actually, who's actually an assassin, hired by the Empire. Got it. He says, I was just about to leave when I found your uncle here. They turn DV back on, and he says the last thing he remembers is Uncle Who opening one of the books. And no Zack, Danic Jericho was not there when it happened. Kids ask Jericho for help, and he sneers, I am of the Enzati. We do not help. Well, <laughs> you've tried to make if you're hired, you do. And he leaves. <laughs> That's, again, a weird stand to take. My yep. species is, on principle, unhelpful. We... And we will stay unhelpful till the day we die. It is our way. So it's, it's a weird flex, but okay. Weird flex, but okay. <laughs> they try to da- drag Uncle Hool back to the ship. Well, DV does, because he's a droid, right? Zack, for some reason, tries to grab the book clenched in Hool's hand. And Tosh instinctively just yells, No, don't do it! But then it's too late. As he opens the book, a bright flash goes off, and when the light fades, Zack is lying in a crumpled heap on the floor. What is this book? Well, it's a Jedi book, right? Like, but what is it? Like, why is well, it we'll making find... people faint? That's the mystery, right? The Ghost of the Jedi. I'm just wondering if you had any speculation when you were reading this, what it might be. Like, I didn't have any idea. Is I thought it, it was just... the Bible? 
And maybe they're getting knocked out by God's light. The truth is knocking them out. The truth is knocking them out by setting them free. I think it's of di- consciousness. I think it's Dianetics. It's, di- it's definitely Dianetics. It's super powerful. They open it. There's a- <laughs> This knowledge is too powerful. <laughs> Tasha's really getting sick of all this nonsense going on, so she starts dragging both of them. And then she's a ghost! What? A ghost! This milky gray energy ball in front of her. The ghost reaches out for Tasha's neck as if to choke her again, so she books it. She runs away. Yeah. Leaving DV and her brother and Uncle Hool. Wait! All, all the ghost is screaming her name behind her. Jeez. She makes it all the way back to the shroud, and she's super ashamed. She's like, I love my brother and my droid and all this. This sucks. But she's safe from ghosts, at the very least. Exhausted, she collapses on the floor. Then she hears a clunk, clunk, clunk outside her chamber. The bean, whatever it is outside, opens her door. And it's force flow. Oh, thank God. My, 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 my of age internet friend who invites me back to his room alone. And, and also, DV is here too. Okay. <laughs> he left Zach and Uncle Hool back in the library. <laughs> DV is also like, wait. Yep. These two are a lost cause. Force flow talks, sit down and talk to her. He says, like, I, I have to admit the Jedi curse must be true. And they say, only a true Jedi can enter the library. And you're a true Jedi, Tosh. Mm. High hand on the knee and everything, right? Mm. And Tosh's like, are you kidding? Like, a ghost tried to murder me every time I've gone in there. And he says, but it's up to you to break the spell. Because you have the force, baby. Your dumb brother didn't, and now he's dead. <laughs> That's a way to soften the blow. Yeah. Break the curse and open all those books. All the answers are there. Your brother's dead. But, on the plus side, you can help me get a library card. Because <laughs> <laughs> having fun isn't hard when you got a library card. No, it's not. <laughs> Even when you have a dead brother. So she returns to the library bravely to face her fears. DV tags along, of course, to keep an eye on her. When she gets her Uncle Hu and Zack, of course, are gone! She quickly deduces they must be in that cryo mode. And sends DV off to check out it. And it leaves her alone in the library to face her fears. She picks up a book to start with. The History of the Jedi Knights. Before she can even open the book and finish a page, a ghost smacks the book out of her hands. Don't read that. That's garbage. And the ghost Have you of- tried a song of ice and fire by George R. Martin? <laughs> Epic fantasy series now a hit show on HBO. <laughs> this time it's not an orb with hands. It's actually shaped like a, a human. Oh. It's a sunken man with tattered Jedi robes and slashes all throughout his body. Oh, he got killed. He tells her he's not trying to hurt her. He's trying to protect her. And why'd he choke me, dude? Says Tosh. Yeah, well, obvious question. And the ghost's like, I was trying to scare you. No one's been able to sense my presence for, like, centuries. Until you showed up and I was able to keep you safe from the library. That's all I wanted to do. His name in life was Aiden Buck. Aiden. Aiden? Aiden Aiden Aiden. Aiden. I know, it's such a popular name Does he have sisters named uh, Emma, Isabel, and Avery? Yep. Brayden and Jaden are his brothers. Yep. He was in charge of guarding this library. I said centuries. It's more like... 30 years or something like that. Because, <laughs> because definitely not centuries, Ryan. Because um, when the station fell, is when Darth Vader showed up with his uh, troopers to destroy them. Oh. And he killed Aiden Bach. And he couldn't become a proper Jedi ghost or even become one with the Force because of all the shame he felt for letting the Jedi down. Oh, man. Aiden, yeah. you gotta let go of that. He tells her she should leave since this isn't even the original library. This is, this is a recreation created not that long ago, pretty recently, by an evil scientist who spread rumors on the Holonet about a dark Jedi curse. Pretty weird, huh? Pretty weird. An evil scientist, huh? The devices in the library are not books. They're actually these devices that will steal your life essence. Just like a real library. Just like a real library. <laughs> That's why no one comes back from the no public library. No one ever library. comes back from the library alive. 
Tasha's like, dude, that's dumb. Why would anyone build like this, <laughs> this, this big fake library to trap people's souls? That's so stupid. And <laughs> to agree with you there, Tosh. <laughs> and the ghost is like, well, whoever made this, and they're they're talking about Jedi on the Hollow Net. They want to bring a Jedi here so they can steal the Jedi's life essence and get their Force abilities. Oh. That's and, a kind of a long con. And but... I couldn't warn any of them until you came along. Because you got the Force, baby. For reals. What, the other Jedi didn't have? They weren't actually Jedi who oh, came. because they weren't Jedi. Right, they were they... those treasure hunters. Oh. But then Force Flow busts in, and he asks Tosh point blank why she hasn't opened a single book yet. What are you doing? Tosh, read. Come on, reading yeah. is fundamental. And she's like, you won't believe it, Force. Well, there's a ghost here. He told me a bunch of stuff. This place is a trap, and I got the Force. And then he gets really mad. He's like, the Force, the Force, the Force. Blast the Force down the darkest black hole in the galaxy. Whoa, strong words there, buddy. His face ripples and he reveals that his true form, Borgamus Gog. Oh my god, Borgamus Gog disguised himself as a hot dude? Yeah. Does that mean Borgamus Gog was Force Flow? The whole like time. Like I said. You were right. Where's Force Flow, asked Tosh. I've always been Force Flow, you idiot, says Gog. All of part of my plan to track Jedi nerds like you to my trap library. And I wasn't just catfishing you, my dear. I did it to all these people in the cryo chamber. He's a serial catfisher. Yes. They're not dead, of course, just in stasis after I stole their life essences and uploaded them to my machinery. Finally, revenge on Hul after 20 years. I want to know. Now open a dang book already. He's putting a gun in here. Open a book. Ghost Aiden is not doing anything. Tosh is begging him for help. And he's like, I couldn't even defend the library against Darth Vader. This is not the time to go all Debbie Downer. Tash gives him a pep talk. He's like, why don't we just do this together, Aiden? Let's do it together. And just like that, Tosh is able to yoink Gog's blast from his hand, and she books it, and makes her way down to the garbage chute. Gog follows her down and is almost immediately grabbed by the Dianaga and pulled <gasps> underwater. Oh! She pulls out of the cryo morgue, and Devi is there with Uncle Hul and Zack, who are in stasis tubes, just like everyone else. Yes. They get ready to reverse the polarities or whatever of the machine, put their souls back into their bodies. But before they can, Gog is back with his gun, smelling like garbage. Gog fires at Tosh, but Devi heroically dives in the way, first kid style. DB did that? Yes. Just like Sinbad? He takes a laser bolt to the chest for his for little Tosh. You're Mongoose 12? <laughs> yeah, he is Mongoose 12. That's such an obscure... <laughs> Whatever. If you've never seen First Kid... You're a 90s kid if you understand Mongoose 12. <laughs> she uses this opportunity to pull the lever on the machine and reverse the polarities. Energy surges through all the cryo chambers. The machine explodes, which launches... Uh, Gog backwards. He makes a run for it, shape-changing the whole way to try to go faster and faster, but he's super injured. Uh, Tosh and Ghost Aiden are making chase after him. They finally catch him in a tunnel that ends with a bottomless chasm, kind of like at the end of The Fugitive. Yeah. Harrison Ford's at the end of that pipe, so he's out in the like, open air. Yes. He's like, I should have killed you when I had the chance, but that time will come, I swear it! He jumps into the chasm, shifting into different shapes in vain before disappearing from sight. Is this the end of Borgamus Gog? Could be. Everyone's alive and well again, so good job, yay! Yeah. Everyone's other chambers are all kind of groggy and, and cold, except D.V., he's super beat up. He's well, got, he got shot. He got shot. But again, he's like a robot, so who cares? He's still functional, though. Tosh explains that Gog fell on a chasm, and Uncle Who isn't so sure they've seen the last of Project, Project Starscream. Starscream. Not for the epilogue. Tosh says goodbye to Ghost Aiden, who now, instead of ragged, looks much like how he did in life. His cheeks are not sunken anymore, all the slashes are gone. Sorry, did he, like, was he looking ragged just, was that... Out of shame. Out of shame? Yes. That's what happens? He's like, follow your heart and seek help from those around you, Tosh, and trust in the Force. It's nice little goodbye. Power was inside you all along. Much later, after everyone leaves, Darth Vader shows up. And basically he's just here to scoff at Gog's attempts to harness the Force. Like, what an idiot. Like, you are such a loser. What a loser. And he's like, nothing here. Nespis 8 is dead. Roll out, boys. And they leave. 
Had he lingered a moment longer, Vader might have detected something deep in the bowels of the space station. At the bottom of a deep ventilation shaft, in darkness as profound as a black hole, a figure stirred. The fingers of a burned and blackened hand twitched in a dark eye. <gasps> the Borgamus Gog is alive! Bum, bum, bum! He's alive, but they definitely go pull his funding. Yeah, I mean, he's got one more book to... to win this and I think he can do it I think he can pull through I think, you think book he can six, pull it off you think that the last six books are just going to be like Gog just like Gorgas Gog slowly like, torturing his, these two children yeah his victory lap is going to be the next six books in the series awesome. after it's going to be great I'm looking forward to it so yeah that was book five Ghost of the Jedi wow not the scariest entry but I think I had some fun bits I really like Danic Jericho showing up like that was out of nowhere I had no idea he was going to be in this book I also like the fact that, like, he's like, yes, I'm a bad guy. Yes, I murder people. No, I am never, ever helpful to anyone see, ever. But I did not kill that guy. See, as a kid, I feel like I would have read this book and wait for Dan and Jericho to come back and have, like, a change of heart by the end, right? Yeah. Because he left and was like, I don't help people. I but like, then he's like, something about those kids. What is this this feeling in my chest? But I kind of love, as an adult, he didn't show up again. He did not show up again. <laughs> he just took off. He literally was like, like, his heart was not moved by these children. His no. heart did not grow three sizes that day. He's just literally like, I'm an unhelpful murderer. Bye. See ya. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. So anyway, now that I've spooked you into your bones themselves, you're shivering with anticipation for our next segment, which is, as always... The worst, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst name challenge. That's right, that's right, that's right. Well, first of all, we need to give props to our champion who is now being raised into the rafters for fighting so hard the last three weeks. Teleporno. Our boy. Teleporno, you done good. Rest your head, sweet prince. Ascend to the Valhalla alongside Fatty Lumpkin and Darth Icky. There's us watching. Here he goes. Bye! Bye, Teleporno. We'll miss you. That's a powerful name that guy has. That was a powerful name. In fact, I don't know if I'm going to be able to top it, but we'll see. Okay, let's see what you got. Well, am I going first? Yeah, we have to both introduce new names this week because our champion is a champion. All right, so the name I'm introducing today, this is a hobbit. This hobbit was mentioned in passing in the chapter A Long Expected Party. Okay. His name is Daddy Two Foot. (laughs) Daddy Two Foot. (laughs) Which is a bad name, even if you set aside all the horrible connotations we of the internet age have with the word daddy. Is he a daddy? He is not just a daddy, he is daddy. Capital D daddy. (laughs) Adjective daddy. Adjective daddy. He's gonna he's gonna buy us what do you call him? What's that weird word they use for um for like plush stuffed animals? Plushies or squishies or maybe there's like some gross word they use in that subculture Ew. and I don't endorse it Ew. at all. Yeah, so and he's better than a daddy one foot, I suppose. It's better than daddy one. I love the fact that they have to specify that he has two feet. Maybe there is another person also called Daddy in the Shire, but he's an amputee. <laughs> <laughs> so this daddy is no foot. Daddy no foot, and so this is Daddy two foot. Is there a daddy with like? Extra long legs for a hobbit called Daddy Long Legs. Daddy Long Legs. I mean, there there could be a Daddy Long Shanks. Ooh, Aragorn is Daddy Long. Daddy Long Shanks, and he like is... especially when he washes his hair at the end of Return of the King, and he's looking all fine, like dressed up in his king outfit. You define him as Daddy. You think Daddy Long Shanks. Daddy Long Shanks. Yeah. Ooh, Daddy Two Foot. Daddy Two Foot. So what do you got? Well, I know did not do so well in the polls just because Teleporno was unstoppable. So I I'm bringing to you another Tuscan Raider name today. Okay. Not because the full name is bad, it's his it's his nickname. It's what he goes by. His short name is Dreadful. Dreadful. Okay. So his full name is Okay. I can't know if I can pronounce this. K horror. K horror. Spelled out K K H apostrophe. There's no there's no vowels in that first syllable. Horror. But his friends call him Whore. 
H O A R. Hello, whore. Yeah, it, it sounds like either. It kind of reminds me how Danny DeVito says it in Always Sunny Philadelphia. Whore. 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 <laughs> it's the original whore. This is the original Sha Dynasty. So, you, you nerds out there might know whore from the PS1 fighting game Masters of Terrace Kasi. The the Star Wars fighting game. I do not know him from there. Whore was the Tuscan Raider representative of his people in that game. And in the character select screen, they call him Whore. <laughs> it's not a bad word. It's just H-O-A-R. It's not what anything else you're thinking of. It sounds like... It sounds like... Yeah, it does. <laughs> Hello, whore. Now, just to be just to be clear, though, Terrace Kasi is canon. They mentioned it in in Solo, a Star Wars story, Han Solo story. So, does that mean that whore, whore is also canon? Whore may be a canon character. I'm not sure. I mean, it's unfortunate, but like every once in a while, you get a name that sounds like something dirty in another language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is this is a a, a martial arts Tuscan Raider named Whore. Whore. So daddy, whore school. daddy two foot and whore. So you can yeah, tell that. daddy and a whore. This is getting like a little bit blue. It's a little blue, but only if you're a pervert. So please vote on which one you think has the worst name. Whoever wins will continue on into next week's worst name challenge. Yes. And you can do that on our Facebook, What's Lightsabers Precious, or our Twitter, What's Lightsabers uh, you can also hit up our website, www.whatslightsabersprecious.com. You can email us at whatslightsabersprecious at gmail.com. Please do. We don't get enough emails from our loyal listeners or people who hate us. So please email us. <laughs> One or the other. We don't care. We're not particular. If you're on Apple Podcasts, give us a good rating maybe if you like us or tell a friend who maybe likes nerdy things like you. It wants to hear who would be worse, Daddy Longshake. Well, sorry. Daddy Longshake. Who'd be worse, Daddy Two Foot or Whore? Maybe they have an opinion. Ask your friends. Say, do you have an opinion on this? Ask your, like, if you, even if they don't like Star Wars or Lord of the Rings, be like, what do you think is a worse name? Daddy Two Foot or Horror? And ask your grandma? Ask your grandma. She's going to have great opinions. My grandma has opinions on these things. So. She did. She voted on her last thing. So if your grandma wants to vote, please let her do that. If she wants to contact us, please let her do that. Please, uh, like, God, please just let your grandma, let your grandma out of the basement in which you have locked her and let her contact people. I'm not kidding. I Can want, you stop? I just want, holding your grandma hostage. If you know your grandma listens to this podcast or knows about it, let us know. I'm so excited to hear about grandmas listening to our show. All right. So to all you grandmas and other listeners out there, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.